Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. It's going to be a great hour. Can't wait. Uh, Dr. Jonathan Lehman is going to be joining me in just a minute. But hey, if you are looking for things to do in the evening this week, Thursday night at 7 p.m., we're going to do a live stream event. Uh, it will be myself along with Dr. Peter Kapsner and Dr. Jim Bilby. So it's going to be great. Bring your uh, concerns, your questions. And it's going to be a wonderful hour just to sort of sit back and have some enjoyable time as well. I know there's a lot of people tired of watching the news at night and feeling stressed about everything. So we're going to talk about uh, anything and everything. You are the guest of honor. Bring your questions. Bring your concerns. We will cover whatever it is you would like. And we're going to have some fun, too. So that's coming this Thursday night. You just go to MyFaithRadio.com. You don't have to sign up. All you have to do is click the join button and you will be going to our live stream event so that will be uh, coming up this thursday 7 p.m central time just thought i'd mention that as well i know our listeners out east uh, will want to know that for sure so let me take a little break and then uh, bring on jonathan lehman I'm Faith Radio Manager Neil Stavum with a special welcome to new listeners in West Central Minnesota hearing Faith Radio on 103.3 FM, the newest signal in our growing network of stations. And welcome as well to listeners in the Minnesota River Valley hearing Faith Radio in Mankato at 89.1 or along the North Shore in Grand Marais at 91.9. All these new FM signals have come on the air in the last few months, bringing the Bible teaching and talk programming to a growing family of listeners because of the financial investment of dedicated friends of this ministry. It's your support now and over the years that has allowed our network to grow with new FM signals throughout the upper Midwest and in Hartford, but also through online listening and the Faith Radio app, allowing thousands to connect with us digitally from across the country and around the world. Your gifts are having a growing impact and lives are being changed because of your partnership. Thanks for continuing to stand with us. You can make a gift today at MyFaithRadio.com. It's nice to be inviting back to the program Dr. Jonathan Lehman. He's the editorial director for Nine Marks. And after uh, doing all kinds of graduate and, and uh, getting degrees in political science and everything else, I think he got his PhD in Wales. Uh, so we'd probably yes. never be friends, technically, because you're just <laughs> you're too smart for me. But I love having you on the show, Jonathan. I don't think we... I, li- I like the first... I like the second thing you said. Love being on the show. I disagree with the first thing you said. No, I know. Uh, I, I just, uh, I love the way you think and the way you write. And thank you, know, you. As a host of a radio show, just so you know, I'm, I deal with a lot of really bright people that can be in, a little intimidating from time to time. Just so you know, I was a well, solid C student. Well, you have to be a polymath. You have to be good at a lot of things. Yeah. In order to have all those conversations. That's true. That's true. So no, I I'm I'm always uh, I'm always delighted when I get a chance to uh, 
be on the be on the air with people that I, I just find so fascinating. You are one of them, just so you know. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And I think we have a little something in common when it comes to uh, your new book called One Assembly, Rethinking the Multi-Site and Multi-Service Church Models. And I, I've, yeah. always, I've always been a fan of the old, I go to my church and it's, I, I get the pastor live and we're not always stressed out about adding more campuses. I, I mean, I love church growth. Don't get me wrong. But, um, uh-huh. you know, isn't, tell me what a, a church is exactly. A, ch- a church is a gathering of, of Christians for preaching and the supper mm-hmm. and affirmation of one another as believers and followers of Christ. Here's another way of saying it. If, if, if the universal church is that heavenly end time gathering, you know, think, think Ephesians 2. You've been raised with Christ. You've been seated with him in the heavenlies. So that the universal church is, as it were, gathered now in the heaven. Uh, the local church is an expression of that, a manifestation of that, an mm-hmm. outpost of that. So it's, it's you and other believers gathering together. Uh, to to hear what the king has to say to us in his word and to affirm one another as fellow Jesus followers, as citizens of the kingdom through the baptism and the supper. Mm -hmm. So I would love to get um, your, your, some of your take on the multi-site and multi-service churches. And I know that they're uh, very good intentioned, uh, but I would love for you to challenge us uh, with some, some views on them. Yeah, sure. I mean, let me let me just state first, this this is not a first order conversation. This is not like, is this a compromise of the gospel? So let me start by saying I love my brothers and sisters in multi-service and multi-site churches. My, my parents attend a multi-service church. Um, very good pastor friends of mine are multi-site pastors. Well, ba- basically what happened is starting in the 19, really 60s, uh, Churches throughout America, a number of churches throughout America realized, hey, we got full buildings. We got a good thing going here. Why, why, why don't we just add a service? Uh, that way people can come at a 9 or people can come at 11. And that started happening in the 60s and 70s. Keep in mind, this really hadn't happened for, you know, 1950 years before this, but here it is. So, <laughs> so, so, they, so they started doing that. Then in the 1990s, late 80s, early 90s, a few churches started experimenting with the multi-site church. And there was different ways of doing that. For some people, that was like the preacher would preach here at nine and they'd travel across town and preach there at 11. And eventually it became a video feed thing that made it easier. So he didn't have to keep driving around. And that sort of exploded. But somewhere in the process, a bunch of churches started asking themselves, well, wait a second, is, is this biblical? What's the biblical argument for this? And so then they set about to sort of, you might call a post hoc justification for it. Like, okay, well, we've got this thing. Can we justify it from the Bible? And there, multi-site authors will tell you, yeah, we were sort of building the plane in the air as we went. Mm. What I do in this book is I come along and say, hey, guys, love you. I know you're, you're trying to do good things. I trust your intentions. It's evangelistic. That's awesome. But let's, for real, have a conversation about whether or not this is biblical. And uh, I'm going to make the case that it's not. I'm, not, I'm going to make the case that it's, it's, it's not what the Bible prescribes for us as a church. Uh, it's not how the Bible defines a church. So that, that's, that's the long and short of it. Well, I like that very much, and I'm, I'm really wanting to hear more. Um, yesterday, I had George Barna on the show, and he was talking to uh, uh, church pastors, of which 
80% said that their, their church body was successful. And he goes, I'm a measuring guy. So he said, how do you measure your success? And there, uh, Jonathan, there were five things that he said would come up all the time. And that was the, uh-huh. num- the number of people that show up, the amount uh-huh. of money they raised, the number of programs they had, the number of staff they could hire for these programs, and the square footage of the buildings. Got it. Yep. Fairly, fairly typical metrics, I would say those yeah. are. Yeah. So I, I represent I represent a different philosophy of ministry than that. So Barna and I are coming at it from uh, different ministerial philosophies. Well, Barna was just doing some of the measuring. He wasn't endorsing it. He was sure. just learning about it. And I I I just would love to hear more about um, your take on it. Well, I would say, uh, see, all of those things I can. I can manufacture with enough money and a little creativity and charisma. I can get you know people in a room, get them to give money, call it a church, and wow, this thing is exploding. Yeah. I, but I, I don't. I don't think that those are the instructions the Lord left for us in Scripture. Instead, I think He called us to preach the gospel, right? Going to all disabled nations, making disciples, baptizing, teaching them everything I've commanded. Or you think of Paul talking about. Uh, I, I just through a plain statement of the truth, he says, uh, is is what he offered to the Corinthians. So uh, the way we would define success is faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Success equals, you know, write that on your whiteboard. Success equals faithfulness. It's like in sharing the gospel. I cannot guarantee when I go out and share the gospel that people are going to repent and believe. I can't. I can't. I can't manufacture that. What is successful evangelism? Successful evangelism is faithfully sharing the gospel. I can do that. In the same way, what is a, a successful quote-unquote church? It's one that's teaching everything Jesus commanded. It's one that's being faithful to raise up healthy, godly elders who are, you know, quote-unquote above reproach and able to teach and all of that. It's, it's a church that's where people are learning to love one another and care for one another in the gospel, right? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. So what is a successful church? It is a faithful church. I love that because we want to go based on what Jesus said the church is. And how often do we talk about that uh, versus sometimes hearing pastors talk about their vision for the church? Well, think, think, think of Paul's words. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gives the growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so our, our, our job is to plant, to water. That's successful. Uh, God's going to decide, hey, this, is this going to be a 1,000-member church? Is this going to be a 150-member church? So, yeah, we, we have our bit, but, but, but we, leave, we leave those things to the Lord. Yeah. All right, let me take a little break. Dr. Uh, Jonathan Lehman is my guest, and we're chatting about, well, one of his many, many, many books that he's written. But this one is called One Assembly. We'll take a short break. Be right back. the show. Dr. Jonathan Lehman is my guest. He is um, the editorial director of Nine Marks. Is it ninemarks.com, Jonathan? Org.org. Org. Org. Nine, the number nine, and then marks.org. Yes? If we made more if we made more money, maybe it would be .com, but we're, <laughs> we're just a very non-profit, non-profit. So. Yeah, yeah. 
I want to go back to the start of this conversation. I, I think you and I would yep. be regular pals, you and me. I think we'd be buddies. I assume. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. All right. Let's uh, go back to uh, the book. And as uh, right before the break, I was thinking about, uh, you know, God does not see things the way we see things. Um, and I'm sure there's some people that are listening that feel like maybe uh, this book might be picking on their church. And I know you said yeah. earlier on that you're not doing that and you have great love for these brothers and sisters in Christ who are at multi-site churches, but you, you, uh, you're not picking on them, are you? Well, I'm not, I, or at least I hope I'm not. I am yeah. trying to say, I think the Bible describes a certain way to build churches and grow and lead as churches. And I, I think one sign of Christian maturity is the ability to come together in the gospel and have honest conversation, things that we disagree about, right? It's a sign of maturity, I think, that we can say, I love you in the gospel, but I think uh, this is a right understanding of baptism, and that's a wrong understanding of the Lord's Supper, and this is how I view women's ordination, and and this is what I would say about the gifts, and be able to have those conversations, for instance, with love and respect and charity. So yeah, I might be stepping into this conversation and saying, hey, friends, there's, there's something I disagree with about uh, the way the way we uh, many evangelicals practice the church, uh, but I hope that's not a threat to you. Mm-hmm. I hope we can have those conversations and affirm one another in the gospel. Yeah. I sometimes wonder how we're doing in that regard when it comes to having uh, disagreements or, or, you know, open discussions when we're not, um, when people are leaving because they don't like the, the way the hymns are sung or the color of the carpeting that just got put in. So yeah. there's all kinds of problems. Well, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I don't know that Americans today are very good at disagreeing. So we either completely avoid it or we just tell people the things that we, so we avoid the conversation, or if we're into the conversation, we just say nice things about each other, or we get really mad at each other. It's like, okay, can we can we find a middle mature ground in between, uh, I'm getting really mad at you, how can you, how can you vote for him, you know? Uh, in between that, I probably don't want to bring that subject up. Never mind. Just forget I said that. <laughs> uh, in, yeah. in, in, in between anger and I'm just going to say nice things and fear man and, you know, be afraid of ruffling any feathers. Is, yeah. is there a mature middle way? Mm-hmm. So talk about the way the culture can shape uh, what goes on in a church. I mean, most churches now have a gourmet coffee shop and some have a climbing wall for the kids. And what about all that stuff? Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's not where I expected you to go. Um, yeah, I, I guess I would say what we've been trained to do in, in kind of post-19, uh, I, can, I can go back further to the Second Great Awakening. But but, but the way we're, we're sort of trained to think now is, is the kind of a, a ministry philosophy we, we refer to as attractionalism, in which I try to attract the world by showing the world that Hey, we're just like you. We're non-threatening, and we like climbing gyms, and we we do all these things. Come in, let's lower all the barriers we can. And um, oh, by the way, we also have Jesus. Check him out. He gives you fulfillment. He will make you have a happy marriage. And so we have all the good stuff you have, and we have Jesus. Sound good? Mm. And that that's that's what you would call is sort of an attractional uh, uh, ministry philosophy. As opposed to what you see in the, the Bible, where you see the apostles going out and preaching, and Jesus going out and preaching and saying, repent and believe, you know. Uh, th- th- we have good news. 
But you know what? We don't just have good news. We have bad news. Actually, the bad news comes first. You're, you're, you, you've sinned against God, and uh, you need to be made right with him. And we have good news to follow, which is, which is Jesus saves. And, uh, and he also calls you to repent and believe and follow him. And let me tell you what, it's a costly way. You know, you, 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 uh, you better count the cost before you come because he commands a man going to the ground to die before you follow him. Yeah. So are you willing to die and follow? Okay. So yeah. Uh, what, 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 what do I, what do I think of, of, about the way a lot of churches approach? A lot of churches are just trying to avoid asking people to count the cost. Mm. And I just don't, I think you can create a lot of false converts that way. And we need to be cautious about that. Do we want to be warm and winsome and loving? Absolutely. But let's also be honest uh, about what Jesus calls people to do. Yeah, I love that. So I know in your book, in the last chapter, you talk about a vision of uh, the churches that could work together to fulfill the Great Commission. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, sure. One of the first questions that comes up uh, with multi-site, multi-service conversations is, Jonathan, if you're saying that we shouldn't do multiple services of multiple sites. We got a full building here. What's the alternative? And hey, by the way, we've tried church planting and we just can't plant churches fast enough to keep up with the growth. Uh, and let me, let me, let me just say, I, I wrote this book while in a, a member of a thousand member church that was stuffed to the gills, literally people standing in the back. So I've been there. I know how that feels. Uh, and what I say the solution is, is kind of a, just a different view of what churches do in their partnership with one another, or with one another. So, for instance, a big mega church in the suburbs planted a campus of its church right next to my friend's Greg's church in a university area. And Greg is a great preacher, and Greg's church is growing. He is no, you know, slouch. Mm -hmm. But for some reason— that multi-site church out of the suburbs decided to plant this church right next to this campus, right next to Greg's church. They never contacted Greg. They never called him. And, uh, and Greg was like, what, what, what's with that? I mean, aren't we all on the same team? Why, why didn't they, if they wanted a ministry in that neighborhood next to the university where my friend Greg was, why didn't they reach out and say, hey, Greg, we want to get behind you. We want to partner with you because we, we want to have a ministry to the university too. But hey, we, we, we see you're, you're there. But, but there, there just wasn't that vision. It's like we want our brand down there, our, to sound a little cynical, a little snarky, our franchise of how we do church down there near the university campus. And I'm just saying, no, 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 scratch all that. We are all on the same team, friends. It's not about your celebrity pastor. It's not about your programming. It's not about your brand. We are all on King Jesus here, right? Or Team Jesus here. Right. So how can we start working together? So when people come into my church and my 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 building is full. Do you have a brochure at your door? We do a brochure at your door with other six, seven, eight, ten other nearby churches that we recommend. Hey, you're coming from 30 minutes away. Do you know about Sterling Park Baptist? They are a phenomenal church. You shouldn't drive 30 minutes here. You should go to church there. Hey, you're welcome here. We're not going to kick you out, but we just want you to know about that church there. Is that the philosophy? Is that the mentality? And too often I fear it's not. Wow, that's a, that's a great insight. I have to think about that one because there, it, I see it happening a lot with multi-site uh, churches where they put up their, their next campus in a place, and I go, hey, it's great that you're growing, but yeah, is there, 
do you talk to the churches in the neighborhood and say, how do we team up? How do we make this better? How do we join forces? It's like when I see a, well, it, a Walgreens go up uh, across the street from a CVS. I'm going, hey, there's already a drugstore right here. I mean. <laughs> well, that's, that's the thing. Our, our, our intuitions are kind of franchised out in the same way. We, we're thinking like CVS. We're thinking mm-hmm. like Walgreens. And so there, there's this whole background conversation before we even have the is multi-site, multi-service biblical conversation. This whole background conversation kind of you might almost say at the intuitional level, are, are we approaching church and building church consumeristically or are we doing it as a family all working together? So, yeah, I, 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 think, I think there's a number of things which show up in this particular conversation and sort of some wrong assumptions that we're bringing to bear. Mm-hmm. Jonathan, do you think there could be a, a trend back towards uh, more home churches? I know we've been kind of off... Not not in the church building for five, six weeks now. So um, do you think there could be a, a chance that that could have a resurgence? You know, that's, that's, a, good, that's a good question. Uh, there's been a number of writers over the last couple of decades who have been pushing the house church movement. Uh, and will, will COVID-19, will that sort of spur that on? I suppose it could because a lot of us have been doing something like that of late. Uh, yeah, I, I, I honestly, I don't know. I, I personally, I, another thing that could spur on a house church movement, frankly, is persecution. So you talk mm. to our Christian friends in China, and yeah, that's what that's what they do. That's what they get. And with more and more, uh, I, don't, I don't think we're at this point in the United States yet, but I, I can envision a scenario where city councils refuse to give building permits where movie theaters and schools no longer allow churches to meet. Uh, you can no longer do new construction because there's no tax revenue to be had. So it won't be necessarily overt, like we hate Jesus. We're going to put you in prison, Christian, like you, uh, persecution like you see in China. It can be a lot more subtle than that. And those things as well, I think, could yeah spur on more and more Christians out of necessity meeting in their houses. Uh, the good news is I, I, none of that is a threat to Jesus. He promises his church will prevail. Governments can try to stop us. I don't care if you're the Ayatollah you know, in Iran or, or the Communist Party in China. You're not going to be able to stop King Jesus. And whether we can meet in especially big, beautiful buildings that we build for the purposes of churches or having to meet in apartments, we're going to be okay. Jesus is going to win. Mm. Jonathan, you always make me think. I so appreciate you coming on the show. I'd love to have you on more often because you are so interesting, and I just appreciate uh, how you think and how you write. Oh, thank you, brother. Yeah. So um, anyway, I'd love to have you back. Uh, Dr. Jonathan Lehman has been my guest. His book is called One Assembly, Rethinking the Multi-Site and Multi-Service Church Models. You can also go to 9marks.org, the number 9, the word marks.org. We'll take a short break and be back in just a minute. This hour continues with Super Smart People. 
My guest now is Dr. Daryl Bach from Dallas Theological Seminary. He's author of over 40 books. He's got something very cool coming up tomorrow night, which is going to be a webcast called Pandemics, Prophecy, and the Middle East. He's going to be joined by Dr. Mitch Glazer, who's been a guest on the show several times, and Joel Rosenberg and Scott McConnell from Lifeway Research. Sounds like an all-star lineup. Daryl, welcome. Well, it's my pleasure to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. This uh, What you've Good. got going on tomorrow night sounds really interesting. Yeah, we're um, excited about it. We ran a poll before the virus really got rolling um, on eschatology and in the midst of it found some pretty interesting things about uh, about where pastors are. It was a poll of a thousand pastors and like I said, it was pre-COVID-19. Actually, uh, COVID-19 was just emerging. We did it the questions in January. And uh, the poll was sponsored by Chosen People Ministries, which, of course, is the ministry Mitch Glazer runs, and then the Alliance for the Peace of Jerusalem, which is a new um, consortium group dealing with um, knowledge of things in the Middle East, and then uh, the Hendricks Center at Dallas Seminary, where I'm executive director for cultural engagement. And um, we just wanted to know what pastors were thinking, and they told us. Well, I'm, I'm interested in hearing. I know from uh, some of the research, nine in ten pastors see at least some current events matching those Jesus said would occur shortly before he returns to earth. Yeah, we're trying to be careful about how we talk about this. We did ask them questions about uh, the second coming and what they thought. Ninety-seven percent of those pastors believe in a return of Jesus. I'm wondering where the other three percent have been, but nonetheless. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, they told us things like 60 um, percent of this group was pre-mill, 21 percent was a-mill, which was uh -huh. an interesting breakdown. Um they about one in four, 27 percent, uh, found the topic a little bit divisive for their congregations, but nonetheless, you know, they thought about teaching on eschatology and they thought that Israel's regathering in the nation, um, suggested to them that the return of Jesus was closer. And then we asked a series of questions, uh, related to the Olivet discourse that Jesus gives, which of course is an overview not only the way things were going to be from the time of his death until now and beyond, but also in association with the second coming. And I think it's that combination that uh, that is interesting in terms of what it is the pastors are saying to us. Yeah, I want to already correct myself because I, I've already given misinformation. The uh, live uh, webcast is tomorrow at 9 a.m. Eastern time. So that would be yep, 8 a.m. So yawn and join us. <laughs> yeah, so it's, no, it's early It's early in the morning. <laughs> it's, the it's the breakfast webcast, which is perfect for me. That's right. And we're going to give the information on how to uh, get to that webcast. Um, is there a, a, a website you can, you can mention right now? Yeah, if, um, if you want to be on the webcast tomorrow, you can either go to chosenpeople.com slash webcast or facebook.com chosen people ministries or youtube.com slash user slash chosen people usa any one of those three sites will land you on it if you i think if you google pandemics prophecy in the middle east which is the title of the webcast uh that's another way to figure out how to get there mm -hmm. all right i want to talk more about uh, this pandemic and 
the prophecy in the Middle East. Let's um, uh, talk about the, what, the COVID-19 right now and, and how this is fitting in. Well, I, I think, again, there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of speculation about what the Bible tells us. It was an interesting article in Christianity Today by Jim Dennison, who lives down here in Dallas with me, about how this is not automatically a sign of judgment. What I do think plagues show biblically when you put them all together and you look to see how God used them, it does give everybody pause to think about their mortality. It makes them aware that they are not in control of things. It's a reminder that we're not gods. And and so it, it's an opportunity to give some pause about where we are in life. And I think many people, whether they are inside the church or outside the church, are thinking about the way they live because of the change in our living circumstances over the last month for most of us. And that actually has the potential to be a very healthy thing. Yeah, Daryl, also mention how some people can get even more defiant in times like this. Well, I think that's true, and, I, and I'm not sure how healthy that is in some ways. Um, the, um, you know, there's a, there's a tricky balance that we need to exercise between being concerned about people's well-being and their economic well-being and their health. And, uh, and also there's, a, uh, there's also a challenging aspect about how Christianity views liberty and freedom. And uh, in most cases, liberty in the Bible is defined in terms of being free for how you relate in a healthy way to God and how you care for others. Of course, the great commandment is love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And, and then there are passages and works like uh, 1 Corinthians where Paul says things, I'm free to do all things, but not all things edify. And so, um, so I think the frustration that people feel and their desire to get out can sometimes cause them to lose sight of why we are doing what we're doing right now, which is to try and be very careful about spreading a virus that, one, we don't know we have, Two, we don't have a vaccine for, and, and three, we don't know who it'll harm if they catch it. So um, all of that is important, and even the, the significant numbers that we have so far, but not as significant as some people have you know, thought at one point, is still important because had we not done what we're doing, those numbers would have been much, much higher. Let's talk a little bit about the Middle East, uh, Daryl. Uh, I, I don't know um, how the pandemic is af- affecting the Middle East, but maybe you could tell us um, what your understanding is of what's changing in the Middle East and uh, what it's pointing to right now. Well, um, it's a pandemic, which means many countries are suffering from what's going on. Uh, Turkey has a very high rate of infection right now. Uh, Iran has been, and this has been in the news, also has a high rate of infection. Israel is coping with um, a rate of infection as well. So those are just three examples. But, uh, you know, the, the, the virus itself is sparing no one. It is, it is literally traveling the globe. I can't remember what the last count was, but I think I heard it's been detected in 191 countries, which is just about every country wow. in the world. I yeah. think so. Um, and for, so from that standpoint, it's um, it's something we're all uh, having to cope with in one degree or another. And, of course, you know, I've never heard so much about 
a, a health curve in my life, but uh, it, everything is in different stages of the health curve. You know, some people are going up, some people have hit the top, some people are coming down. And uh, the Middle East, at least in Turkey right now, may Turkey may be the hottest spot in the Middle East for uh, what's going on if we can, you know, trust what's being reported to us. Mm-hmm. Daryl, this webcast tomorrow, and I want to let our listeners know again, it's tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Central, and you will be uh, participating in this uh, webcast, and it's titled Pandemics, Prophecy, in the Middle East. And I know that uh, Mitch Glazer and Joel Rosenberg are probably uh, doing a lot of the Middle East stuff. Uh, is that fair to say? Yeah, Joel lives in Israel, so he's going to be able to talk about what's going on uh, in the Middle East even far better than I can. Uh, he's in the middle of it over there. Uh, Mitch, of course, has been in New York State, which is the hardest hit state in the United States. Um, and they will deal with this from uh, the Middle Eastern perspective and a little bit from the standpoint of Christian-Jewish relations. And then I think I'm in there to talk a little bit about the New Testament and what it has to say about these kinds of things and try and help people understand the difference between what these signs may indicate and what, you know, and and kind of where it fits uh, on a calendar when Jesus has told us in Acts one that you know only the father knows the time and the uh, of his own choosing in terms of when all these things are going to wrap up although jesus does give an indication of the types of things that come alongside of it and that's actually one of the interesting parts of the poll is that it does go through what we sometimes refer to as birth pangs and the way in which pastors viewed the presence of certain things in relationship to those birth pangs um and and like I said, these numbers come from before uh, the arrival and the impact of the virus. I know that you've uh, authored over 40 books, and you've written some on Luke and Acts uh, commentaries. And I, I would be real curious to hear more about the New Testament perspective on this uh, topic entitled Pandemics, Prophecy in the Middle East. You got me real interested when you started talking about some of the things Jesus said. Uh, maybe you could share some more? Yeah, I, I think it's important to understand that the Olivet Discourse, which is where, you know, things like false prophets, wars and rumors of wars, um, earthquakes, uh, in Luke, you get the added mention of plagues or pestilence mm-hmm. uh, in the Luke version of the... These are all indications of what the end is going to be like. But what most people don't appreciate about the Olivet Discourse is it was discussing two events at once that that Jesus kind of lays on top of one another because they're going to be alike in how they function. So it's called a pattern prophecy, something in the short-term patterns or mirrors what the something in the long-term is going to be like. And the short-term event that he was describing was the destruction of the temple, which took place in A.D. 70, within generation of his own life. And then that was to be the model for what was to come later. So what the poll is showing us is uh, the way in which pastors viewed some of these elements. So they so they said things, and now I'm just reporting what they think. Um, false prophets, uh, 83% of them thought this was an indication of what are called birth pangs. All of these are called birth pangs, drawing us closer to the time. Uh, believers love growing cold, 81%. Moral collapse of our society, 78%. Wars and conflicts, 
uh, or 79 percent, rather, wars and conflicts, 78 percent. And then interestingly, on the bottom of that list is earthquake and disasters at 76 percent. Now, all those numbers are high, but earthquakes and disasters are kind of at the bottom of the list. I've I've toyed with, the, with Scott McConnell, who is also going to be there. He's the Lifeway pollster who helped us do this poll. Mm-hmm. I said, I wonder if we ask this question now, if that thing at the bottom of the list might jump up a certain level because it's the lowest of the five that I mentioned. And I now think some people might pay a little more attention to it. But these birth pangs are simply an indication of what Romans 8 calls is creation groaning for its redemption, for God to restore you know, the creation out of its fallen, which, of course, is what Jesus' return is all about. And so from a New Testament perspective, you don't know whether it's near or far, but what you do know is what comes with it and and the hope that is tied to it. It's very, very important, of course, for what the believer expects and looks forward to um, when uh, God completes his program and we're gathered together with him uh, to be with him for eternity. Really interesting. Daryl, what did you think about some of the, the locust invasions in Africa? Well, again, these are all, you know, all these kinds of events are indications of the fact that we are uh, not in control of the environment we have. One of the dangers that I think we have in modern life, because we do have the ability technologically and otherwise to control so much of the environment around us is to think that we function independently of God. And uh, these kinds of events where kind of nature shows its power, if I can say it that way, is a reminder of how small we actually are. And actually, if you just think about what the earth is in the speck of the universe, uh, it's a speck in the universe. uh, And then of course we're specks on the speck. Um, you realize in one sense how small we are, and then the flip side of that is, and yet the creator God cares about us. And so these events, I think, remind us of kind of where we fit in the scheme of things, and that, and if we think about them, in a, I think, in a healthy way, um, I mean, on the one hand, they do bring terror, and there's real pain and real suffering that people should empathize over and recognize, but on the other hand, it should help us to draw nearer to God and be closer to him as a result and to trust that our fate really is in his hands. I love it. Dr. Daryl Bach is my guest. We're going to take a little break. We'll be back uh, after the break talking about pandemics, prophecy in the Middle East, which is a uh, webcast tomorrow morning at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, and you can head uh, just type in the headline pandemics prophecy in the middle east you'll you'll be able to get there right away be right back with Dr. Daryl Bach. He's uh, joining a webcast tomorrow at 9 a.m. Eastern called Pandemics, Prophecy, and the Middle East. He'll be joined by Dr. Mitch Glazer, Joel C. Rosenberg, and Scott McConnell from Lifeway Research. I've had Scott on the show and Mitch Glazer on the show a number of times. I've not uh, landed Joel, but hopefully one day we'll get him as well. Um, 
when you're talking about the Olivet Discourse and talking about some of the indicators, things like false prophets and uh, moral erosion, um, I, I would love for you to talk a little bit, if you would, uh, Daryl, about those two elements. Well, I, I think that what we um, see are um, people who are operating, uh, on the one hand, with an association and a claim of association to God who actually are um, misleading people or not doing uh, the, the job of reflecting what it is God teaches in his word mm-hmm. and what it is that God um, uh, has called us to do and to be as the people of God. And so, the, you know, a false prophet is someone who misleads people on the, on the, about the things of God. And you can, you can claim to have a close relationship with God and yet not actually be doing that. Um, the, um, the Pharisees, interestingly enough, are an example of being too conservative. Normally when we think of false prophets, we think about people who are too liberal. Um, but you can be too conservative and mislead someone by making the Bible do too much, or you can be a liberal and mislead people by making the Bible do too little. And, uh, and so, you know, we've got kind of a full range uh, of that in our world today. So that's certainly one category. And then the moral collapse of our society, I think, is um, evident uh, to the extent that we have walked away from thinking about Scripture and the way in which it, it teaches, and particularly its ethic, um, as, as a cultural uh, norm, uh, that certainly was the case. It didn't mean that we lived perfectly when we had what I, what I often call the Judeo-Christian net around our culture, but it certainly was a, a good guide in many ways for how to live and how to try and be more caring for one another. Um, and we, we did apply it inconsistently. Um, you know, there are issues of of not caring for our neighbor or or being inconsistent in how we lived it, that certainly was the case. But at least we knew what we thought the standard of life ought to be and what we ought to be pursuing. Uh, today, it's almost like anything goes. And, and so that difference is significant as well. So those those two make it more of a challenge to be faithful in our world and to be and to not be overly influenced by it in such a way that we end up living in ways that looks a little different than the way um, many people choose to live. And, of course, one of the outstanding things that is a potential witness for the Christian faith is to live in a way that is distinctive and that is not like the way the world lives. You know, Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount said, if you, you know, only love the person who loves you, sinners do that. And so a standard that he was setting was, you know, that Christian, the Christian life and Christian living should be distinctive from the way the world functions and its relationships. And uh, sometimes you lose that when the environment all around you isn't very healthy. Mm-hmm. Daryl, when you think of end times prophecy, I, sometimes I think Christians see it as this gigantic intimidating puzzle, and it's hard to piece it together. So um, I know it's important that believers uh, st- study Bible prophecy, um, but when you have this event tomorrow, and it's called Pandemics Prophecy in the Middle East. Is this kind of a uh, inside discussion, or will the, the the average Christian who tunes into this be able to 
understand a lot of what's going on and being said. You've got some some uh, heavy hitters on this program, including yourself. Yeah, well, I think we're we're going to try and talk about you know one kind of where pastors are. Two, we'll talk a little bit about how we see that as kind of commentators on the religious scene. And then the third thing I think you're going to hear from us is um, why eschatology is important. You know, some people in the church say. You know, it doesn't make any difference. We shouldn't talk about it, those kinds of things. But it actually is important. It's actually one of the topics Jesus zeroed in on right before he went to the cross. He wanted the disciples to have a sense, not of being able to, you know, nail down everything, but a sense that God had a plan, that there is a program, that they're a part of it, that there will be suffering for disciples for a time, but then there will be a vindication on the other end. And so not to be overwhelmed when circumstances sometimes appear to be overwhelming. Okay, earlier on in our interview, you brought up a couple of words, and I want to go back and revisit those. Maybe you could just give a little bit of, of uh, biblical uh, um, prophecy training when you drop the words uh, pre-millennial or amillennial. Oh, great. I'd be glad to. The idea of a millennium means thousand years is that there's a thousand year earthly kingdom on the earth. So someone who believes that Jesus is coming back before that thousand year kingdom is called premillennial. That's their view. If someone thinks that we go directly to a new heaven and new earth and there is no earthly thousand year kingdom, there is no millennium, that is called amillennial, amillennialism and being an amillennial. That's uh, you know, it's like an atheist, an atheist, someone mm-hmm. who's not a theist, someone who's not a someone who believes in the millennium. So those are the two most prominent views about Jesus' return that exists among Christians. And where do most people fall? Well, uh, in this pastoral poll, I don't know how how much, you know, th- uh, this is a sample of a thousand, which is supposed to be representative, but Mm-hmm. We had uh, 60% who were premillennial and 21% who are amillennial. My own guess would be those numbers would be a little closer than that, but not much different. And so uh, most people who who are um, biblically rooted, and, the, and these would have been, I think, mostly conservative pastors that we were talking about, uh, would have a percentage pretty close to that. Mm-hmm. And Dallas Theological Seminary uh, would have a specific take on that, wouldn't they? Yeah, we're 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 premillennial. We're uh, everyone on the campus is premillennial. Mm-hmm. And then, is there um, any audience participation, listener participation on tomorrow's uh, uh, web event? Can you text in questions, or um, or do you just tune in and watch? And how long will that last? I think there will be. I think there is a section uh, that is um, that's after kind of all of us have, have kind of abre- uh, addressed issues. I think we're each going to get ten take ten minutes, um, and uh, there is a time for Q and A. I think that's going to be typed in through chat or something like that. That's that's my guess as to how that will be done. Nice. And how long will the whole program last? I'm just trying to. Gauge I think it's I think it's scheduled to be an hour. Sweet. And that is tomorrow morning, 8 a.m. Central Time. And again, type in... Eastern Time. Uh, no, oh, you're right. 8 a.m. Central, Central. 9 a.m. Central and 9 a.m. Eastern. Right. Yep. And the easiest way, again, uh, Daryl, for people to find this webcast is what? 
Um, well, you can go to chosenpeople.com slash webcast or facebook.com slash chosenpeopleministries or youtube.com slash user slash chosenpeopleusa. And, uh, and if you Google pandemics, prophecy in the Middle East, I'm pretty sure you'll get at least one of those addresses to be able to chime in. Awesome. Thank you so much, and blessings. Uh, get a good night's sleep, and I'll look forward to seeing you in the morning. I'm going to watch. All right. Great. Thanks, Bill. Yep. Dr. Daryl Bach has been my guest. And again, uh, Pandemics, Prophecy in the Middle East is a uh, live webcast in the morning, 8 o'clock Central, 9 a.m. Eastern. And you can uh, find that out um, by going to Lifeway Research and then uh, or just type in Pandemics Prophecy in the Middle East, and you'll probably get right to it. That wraps up our show for the day. Thanks for listening. And just a reminder, Thursday night, 7 o'clock, open up your computer, and you'll get an hour with myself and Dr. Peter Kapster and Dr. Jim Bilby. We're going to just have an hour together. should be fun. We'll answer your questions. We'll give you hope, some laughs, and also a chance to pray if you need some prayer. Many do. That's all coming up Thursday night at 7 Central Time. Go to MyFaithRadio.com. There's nothing to sign up for. You'll just hit the Connect Now button, and you'll be with us. So have a great night, everyone, and I will uh, see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.